0: You're listening to Denver Orbit, featuring voices. I'm going to give you an awkwardly long and uncomfortable list of reasons why you shouldn't shave outside. Stories.
1: Now, he was very outspoken about the effects of of war on himself.
0: And music from Colorado's creative community. Listen at DenverOrbit.com or on Apple Podcasts. Google Play Stitcher or most other podcast apps.
1: The John of All Trades Podcast is a part of the Denver Podcast Network in the Shadow of the Mountains. We speak.
0: You have all made it through the damn. Dam. 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 Dam.
1: Have all made it, made it, to you from the X Access. It's John of All Trades with your host, John X. Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 169, nice, of the John of All Trades Podcast and the four-year anniversary. I am your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. Holy cow, four years! What are the odds that we would make it this far? Shows? don't always survive this long and 169 episodes get out of here that's crazy to me and the only reason i still do this is because of you so thank you for listening to me right now if you've listened at any point in the past if this is your very first time hearing this show i am forever in your debt for taking some time and letting me into your life thank you and i cannot think of a better way to celebrate this milestone than with dave sevick Dave is the Vice President of Marketing and Development for Firefly Autism. And the reason Dave is such a good fit here is because it's a nice reflection of what this show actually represents in my life. Now, I don't make any money from this show. We do have our sponsor, Four Degrees, and I'll I'll plug them here in a second because they're very important in the history of this show. But this show is a labor of love. It's kind of a lost leader. It's something that, yes, I use to market my business, Deft Communications, but more importantly... It's a way that I get to deepen my empathy and get to expand my network by getting together with people from all across Denver and all across industries. And because there is no profit motive attached to this, because I'm not doing this pay-for-play, you know, this is not something where I sell spots and I just interview people because they're paying me to ask them questions. This is an honest show. This is something that I adore. And Dave is someone that I met in my professional life. I was introduced to him through Jason Eckhoff at the Peak Properties Group. We did a campaign together. Uh, They were putting together uh, a charitable giving function. They partnered with Firefly Autism, where a portion of the sale of each home would get donated back to Firefly. It was a really cool and innovative campaign that we did a lot of PR around. And that's how I met Dave. In the midst of that, I actually founded Mile High 100 with my friend Braden Dick who's also been on this show. We talked about that. And Dave was one of the first people that I reached out to, and I said, Dave, would you and or Firefly be interested in presenting at Mile High 100? And he said, absolutely. Just tell me when to be there. I'll be there. And they were the first winner of the money at Mile High 100. So so it's one of those things where I don't go into anything that I do looking for friendship. It reminds me of this quote that I've cited a number of times that Bill Murray says, if we were brought together to do a job, if we have like a task or a goal that we want to achieve and we fail in that, we are never going to be friends because the whole reason we came together was a failure. Some people want to be friends first. They want to get on the same page you know, we got to, we got to roll around. We got to laugh. We got to have jokes. We have to have this whole social thing. No, I don't function that way. If we got a job to do, let's do the job first. And if we're good at that and we succeed, then we're going to be friends. So Dave and I hit it off immediately, we had great professional rapport, we sort of spoke the same language, we get into that a little bit in this episode, and from there, once you have some successes, and once you start banging out tasks, and you realize you're almost professionally compatible, it makes sense that friendship would follow. So Dave is someone that I count as a friend, and I cannot tell you how grateful I am to be exposed to Firefly Autism, and the incredible work that they do. So that's what this show represents. It's sort of the confluence of everything. My professional life, my personal life, my intellectually curious life, my friendship life. Everything that you could possibly think about the way I think about this show is contained in this episode. Dave and I talk about issues. We talk about regional accents. We talk about controversial political ideology. The privatization of the social safety net. So we get into issues, we also laugh at each other. And it's fantastic. I am proud of this show, I'm proud of what it represents, and I thank you for being a part of it. Now, quick programming note. I'm off next week, I'm traveling, going down to Arizona, catching a little spring training, uh, should be great. So no new episode next week. That said, as I am recording this, the voting for the Westward Reader's Choice Awards is closing. If you have voted for me, Thank you, thank you, thank you. I cannot tell you thank you enough for taking the time to do that. Additionally, would like to pay some love to our sponsor, Four Degrees. that have been with me for the last four years. The number four, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. I'm proud to highlight their work. They do incredible campaign work. If you are building something that requires the internet, which it's 2018, so whatever you're building probably requires the internet, They will design a great-looking website for you, but more importantly, design a campaign that gets your message in front of the people who need to see it most on the platforms that they are on. They are experts in digital advertising, digital marketing, and all of the social media platforms. So if you are running a campaign, hook up with 4 Degrees. The number four, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. All right, let's get to this week's episode. It is Dave Sevick, Vice President of Marketing and Development for Firefly Autism. Check out Firefly on the web. It's fireflyautism.org. And let's gain some insight into the world of nonprofits. Episode 169, Dave Sevick, Firefly Autism, starts right now.
0: Yeah, it's next month. It is uh, uh, exactly one month from yesterday, Okay. which is kind of hard to believe. Well, um, and that's going
1: to be wrong because this isn't airing today. That is a good point. <laughs> it's,
0: it, it was one month from March 12th. <laughs> so <laughs> that's, Let's put it that's that way. That's how people talk, too. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, it's my, my vernacular. Um, but, uh, so he's coming, he's staying with me. So I wanted to, you know, uh, give him a false impression that I was actually, you know, tidy and, <laughs> and organized and that kind of thing.
1: Well, as, as an uptight white person, one of my favorite things is, uh, I tied it up before you came over. And, uh, as you're going around, it's like, I'm sorry, the place isn't
0: terribly clean. So <laughs> oh, that's like, my line. So, so
1: you get yeah. to, you get to clean up. And yeah. then you get to apologize for, it for not, it being, not clean. being clean.
0: Because you're not sure what their standards are, <laughs> you know? Um, I to right. the Uptight White Club, so yeah, I was the founder. Oh, that, yeah. well, I, I think it predates you. <laughs> Probably, yeah.
1: But it, it's funny, the videographer that you guys are using for the gala is staying with you. Is that like a normal thing? Like?
0: No. Well, I, 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 I guess, you know, I, I don't know whose standards you'd be using on that, but, um, not, no- not normally for me, but, uh, he's bringing his dog. Okay. He has a, a a rather large German Shepherd whom I've never met, but he claims that uh, the dog is very docile and, right. and domesticated and all that stuff. I have a 12-year-old Corgi Mix who is, um, uh, you know, in human years, I guess that's about 85. So she's a bitch. Right. Uh, and she's crotchety and she's... Uh, she's like Josh uh, bore yeah, yeah, totally. And I'm not sure how she is around other dogs that she doesn't know because all the dogs in her life you know, around the hood yeah. and she, she hangs with him. They're pretty cool. So he's bringing his dog and his brother, um, whom he normally stays with lives in Brighton, I think, um, wasn't real keen on the dog staying there. So you know, there was that awkward moment where he goes, well, I don't know. I got, I got the dog with me. And yeah. so of course I felt obligated. I just said, stay at my place. You are the uptight white. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, in the back of my mind, I was thinking this does give me a reason to have to clean. Yeah. That spare bedroom, which was always my what I called my for now room. Mm. Um things go in there for now. Right. And then you, you know, someday, nine years from now, you try to figure out where it's eventually gonna go. Yeah, then it's it becomes like trash or goodwill, you know. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, so he's staying with me, um, and uh, that'll allow us to be uh, you know, have some creative juices flowing and uh, uh you know, to collaborate a little bit more as we get ready to shoot the videos. Well so. the reason I was struck by that is because and this is Dave Sevick
1: from Firefly Autism talking right now, and firefly i've I've had the privilege of working with you all now for the last nine or so months about that yeah, yeah um and we we got together <clears throat> through Peak Properties Group, who I've also had Alex and Derek on this show. That was two, three years ago at this point. What I've seen from Firefly is it, it strikes me as a very sort of tight knit organization, very tight knit group. So when you said the videographer coming out to shoot the thing for the gallus staying with you, I'm like Jesus. I didn't realize how tight knit you guys were.
0: Well, the way you know I look at Firefly as it's it really and this sounds cliche, but it's true. It's like a family, and so uh, much like any family that has you know Uncle Bill who lives in Durango and right. you know Aunt Millie who lives in you know La Junta. Um, we've got Ryan. Uh, he lives in Grand Junction. Um, and he does our uh, he does our website. He does all of our uh, uh, hardcore um, stuff that I can't do. Um, but he's also a very talented videographer. And uh, I've used him for a couple of our videos before. So I'm, right. I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, he happens to work out of the Grand, Grand Junction. Um, part of that is because we used to have a satellite office in Grand Junction that he was working for. Okay, um, And I, I, that's, I'm not sure if that's where he's from or not, but that's where his roots are. And in this day and age of telecommunication, it works perfectly. That's um, great. So when he needs to come to Denver, he comes to Denver and apparently stays with me. How big is your
1: crew at Firefly?
0: Right now we're at about uh, 95 employees. Um, wow, right. Yeah, we're, we're growing exponentially. Um, the last... Uh, really, three years have been uh, a growth spurt for us. Um, we're celebrating our 15th birthday this year, um, so it's like teenage angst, and we're like that, you know, that post pubescent teenager <laughs> right. um, who's going through the growth spurt. But uh, what do you attribute that to? Of, well, it, uh, there's a couple of reasons. Uh, number one, in 2016, in January of 2016, long story, but uh, Medicaid funding uh, became available for families that oh. uh, really wasn't available before all of a sudden families had a new resource for payment um they could afford the services uh for ABA therapy that we offer and uh at that moment we were inundated with uh, an influx of, of applications and, and requests for service and people who could pay Well exactly um and before that you know the the only really choices were insurance um or out of pocket um yeah. the problem with insurance is that uh, ABA therapy is still new well everything about autism treatment is still new um but a lot of insurance companies would uh cover part of it none mm-hmm. of it or they'd cover all of it but the de- deductibles were cost prohibitive okay and so a lot of families just couldn't afford so we we have, we do have a scholarship program that we offer some families but this became uh a really good uh, portal for people to finally have uh, have a way to uh to get those services
1: i got gotcha. you okay so one of the things that I, I'm interested in, and when we met immediately, obviously, like anytime you're meeting someone in a business context, everyone's going in with sort of their best selves. So I showed up, I remember with like this whole like spreadsheet of work in progress yeah. of like deliverables and when they're due and who's I responsible that. for them. Yeah. And I remember immediately you took to that and then you sort of played it back at me, just like the very, like the very same way. And you had all these ideas for things we were going to do and all these connections you had. And, you know, like 9 News and Colorado and company. And so I remember thinking, I'm like, okay, thank God, someone who speaks <laughs> English.
0: <laughs> well, the wheels are always turning in my head. That's just how my brain works. And when anybody that knows me, you know, will, will tell you that when I uh, get involved with something, it's got to be something I'm passionate about. Otherwise, it's boring. And, and I, and, uh, but seriously, I, otherwise, I don't think you can do it justice. <laughs> Um, with the work, especially in the nonprofit field, that needs to be done. So, uh, yeah. So, in that regard, there was two things about that. Number one, you were incredibly organized with your spreadsheet. I am not, um, <laughs> and uh, so I was impressed by that. And I thought it's a good complimentary aspect. But also, it it was a good uh, a good way for me to uh, to really dive in and uh, and tap into my my sense of passion, which I do have. Probably an you know an, an uh overdose of an overabundance of passion for for what we do, but uh, it's important to me and uh that comes out whether I like it or not,
1: yeah, <laughs> so with regard to that when we got together i i'm interested in first of all i didn't even say your official title what's your title
0: vice president of marketing and development
1: okay yeah. so what does that entail like what what are the things that fall under your purview you know
0: john even i'm not sure <laughs> uh, no um a little bit of everything uh but basically no, the number one uh you know um description of that would be the fundraising aspect. Okay. Um it is um, That's the development side. Yeah, it's 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 my department's uh responsibility to um to basically uh beg for money um from the community but but seriously to help the community understand what it is um what the need is, why it's important. Um we know that you know people love to give uh, to charities and 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 that's uh that's sort of a given. Um one of the in fact it's funny one of the things that I learned many many years ago that fascinated me and I love asking people this question is what is the number one reason why people give to charities Mm -hmm. and the number one answer people usually give is, you know, tax deductions, right? That's actually not true. Uh, The number one reason why people give is the simplest one. It's because it feels good. (laughs) Um, And so we're trying to tap into that and, and help people um, feel good about what they're doing, knowing that they're making this significant difference In their little corner of the world so we do that in a variety of ways but that's the fundraising part is number one number two public relations Mm. um you know that yes that's your life right um and that that covers a whole gamut of uh of areas that you're dealing with the community the public um individuals groups uh media and just trying to present the best self that you possibly can and the third one marketing selling the organization you know i tell a lot of people that just because you're in nonprofit work doesn't mean that you're not doing sales. Yeah. Um, you are doing sales. You, you're selling the mission. You're selling the cause. You're selling the organization.
1: There's an argument that no matter what your job is, you're doing sales. Absolutely. All the time. And
0: and I've I've been fascinated over the years how many people have this you know misconception that uh, when you're in the field of nonprofit, it's 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 got some you know soft. Um, you know, non-edgy element to it. It's just, you know, no. It's it, it does that, but but for the most part, you are still doing sales, and that responsibility falls on really everybody in the organization, right? But particularly, you know, the, all of us in the leadership team um, that uh, we want to present the best Firefly that we can. Well, and there's I, there's a finite number of dollars out there. There is. Uh, it, it is also competitive. Um, there was also a a, a theory um, or sort of an unwritten rule for many many years. It's, I think it still exists, but. Um, that uh, nonprofits don't compete, and in, mm. in the true spirit of competition, I guess that's true. We don't we don't like to think of it as competition, but you are competing. Yeah. You're competing for charitable dollars, uh, for philanthropic, you know, a uh, 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 presence uh, in the community, yep. um, and and for placement and where you fall, so people will remember your name.
1: Well, and even in something like Mile High One Hundred you know we you guys were the first winner of that which and thank you that was a yeah, good absolutely yeah. um but that was you know that's structured as sort of a competitive environment we don't like to play up that aspect of it but it it very much is because everyone and here's the thing that i learned when i was on the other side so i worked for very large corporation and I managed a charitable giving portfolio of like two million dollars, something like that. Two, two and a half million dollars. That's <laughs> it's, well, it was my favorite part of the job yeah. because I got to call people and tell them how much money we were giving them, right. which was great. Um, provided that number didn't go down, right. um, which sometimes it did and those calls were less fun to make. But with that said, you know, what I learned is everyone is doing good work. Like, right. that. well, I mean, there are a few sort of notable, I don't, I don't want to call them bad actors out there, but ones that aren't putting the money to as good a use as it maybe
0: could There's be. There's always one in every crowd.
1: Right. Yeah. Um But by and large, anyone who is in the philanthropic nonprofit world is by definition doing great work and, do, and serving an right. underserved community. Right. The ones that tended to rise and the ones that tended to get our attention when I was working for a corporation were the ones that treated their organization like a business ones who come Absolutely. to you sort of hat in hand and say, you know, it's like, well, we're doing great work and we could really use some money. It's like, eh, it's not super compelling. Like, how do you, how do you fill in that value proposition for those who are giving to you? You well, know,
0: it, it, you know it, it's funny because, um, I've seen so many worthy nonprofits that have started their startups. Um, and, and the mission is great and the people are well-intentioned and they're passionate about what they do, but they miss the mark. Um, right and they don 't uh, they don 't use a, a correct business model um, they, they don 't operate the way that they should because they're they 're uh, i guess operating from a more idealistic standpoint right which is great until you realize that it just doesn 't work that way it 's got know, a ceiling on it it does and and in this in in this business world in which we live, the fact of the matter is you do have to um, operate like a business because you are dealing with other businesses and that's that 's just that 's the way it is that 's the, that's right. the world we live in. So, you know, at Firefly, we, we've sort of, I mean, Firefly, again, only being 15 years old, um, there's two ways you can look at that. One is it's such an incredibly short period of time, and yet we've had so many great accomplishments over those 15 years. The other way to look at it is it's it's—it's a very long time. In the, in, in the world of autism, it really is. You, you have to look back and realize that we, the word was barely in our vocabulary. Um, as recent as the early nineteen nineties, right? That was I, only because of the movie Rain Man, which was a horrible depiction of what autism really is all about, oh, is it really? Yeah. And it's um, a movie I quite enjoy. Oh, and so do I. Um, and I didn't realize it until recently that that it just wasn't the most accurate depiction. You know, e- even in the nineties, then it took us another ten years for um, the world and the medical community, if you will, uh, to take it seriously enough mm. to then even find a pittance of dollars to put forth for research and treatment and development um so really that puts us at about 2000 that's when firefly was born in 2003 and so um uh, so we you know th- that 15 year period that we've been in right now um there's th- there's a lot that could have happened and a lot that almost happened firefly in its early days was fledgling and was struggling like a lot of nonprofits do it uh it had a, a pretty close call i'd say in about 2005 2006 then the Some of the current crew that are on the board of directors came on board. And really, uh, Gary Moore, uh, who is uh, uh, one of our board members, um, and the credit really has to go to him, that he was responsible for kind of saving the organization and Mm. and giving it a new direction um, on a business model. Oh, yeah. Um, And that's what did it. And that got us to where we are today on the current trajectory. Um, And then, of course, Jesse, our executive director, came on board. Um, And Jesse is a, uh, a unique individual who's a remarkable man. Um, and Jesse had a spark that the organization needed to ignite it and get it to really uh, to, to grow, as I mentioned earlier, as much as it has. And now we've got just the best crew on the planet um, across the board, clinical team that is uh, second to none, um, administrative team. Every, everything is clicking. Um, and the bottom line and what's important about that is that there are so many kids and families who need our our services, who need our programs. And they finally have the opportunity to tap into that, to take advantage of that. And we're there to serve them.
1: Yeah. And I suspect he might listen to this. So I I don't anticipate he would have a problem with me saying this. The first time I met Jesse, I remember thinking about him. And I'm going to circle back to something you told me later. The first Uh-oh, time I oh, met Jesse, <laughs> no, was uh, was Jesse has presence. Oh yeah, and that, that's something that you can't that that you can't necessarily teach because there's a certain level of inherentness, you got it or of you presence. Didn't. You can hone it, yep. and you can really sharpen it. And when you told me that uh, Jesse had a theater background, I go, that makes good sense yep. to me. And in terms of leadership and in terms of the sort of the main person in charge of your organization you need some of that
0: absolutely I, you know i've known jesse for many years uh, as uh, a fr- friends i guess but acquaintances we'd we'd see each other in the community networking events that kind of a thing but uh then starting to work with him i, I got to see a little deeper side of him and we have a standing joke i, I tell jesse all the time that um, you know, I go out in the community, and and I mention the word firefly, and it seems everybody goes, "Oh, Jesse, we love him." And, <laughs> and so the joke is, I told him, I said that somewhere out there in the state of Colorado is someone that either doesn't know you or doesn't like you, and I'm determined to find them just out of curiosity. <laughs> um, and so far, no luck. It's, it's, a, it's it, a long it, search. It continues because everybody knows him, and, and you know, and and that's a good thing. Um, it it's a good uh, it's a good sign of how the organization is being run. Um, that uh, that Jesse is just as passionate about it as I am, and that that permeates throughout the organization. And I think, uh, you know, I would say that that that's either consciously or subconsciously something that he looks for when when he brings people on board. Yeah. I, I know he did with me, um, and that's uh, that was a you know a good connection between the two of us. But I think it's necessary, um, not just uh, to 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 be successful in in your business model for a nonprofit organization, um, for your mission but uh but over just for a long term success yeah. you have to have that and the reason for that is because for me anyway is i when i'm out in the community and i'm speaking to individuals or groups of individuals large audiences people are not stupid in that regard they can tell whether you're genuine or not yeah and i've seen false passion before mm-hmm. you can pick up on it right away and i've seen genuine passion um and they know, they know what the real deal is
1: yeah no, I 100%. So, one thing, one of the reasons I think we connected is we're both really sort of no nonsense. Like, we, oh, we're, yeah. we're very, <laughs> we're very blunt and straight shooters. And For like, the most
0: part, yes, we are. I yeah. don't,
1: uh, I mean, I can BS with the best of them. But like, you know, if we're sitting around and just, you know, telling fish stories and whatever, like, that's, that's fine. But when it comes down to getting business, getting down to business, there's this quote from Bill Murray that I really like, which is, we don't have to be friends first, okay? If we were brought together, To do a project and that project's a failure we're never going to be friends like let's get the work done and it's whenever that's done we'll laugh and have beers with each other but like let's get the work done
0: yeah and and it's a great way to dive in to a project i've always you know i've heard i've heard bill murray say that before and i've I've always admired that that uh that model of getting uh, getting together with somebody um first getting to know them um on a professional level and then you start finding the commonalities that exist yeah. between the two of you. Um, I I think that's... And you know and it's it's funny, John, because... And I you know, can't function any other way. Well, I can't either. And I was going to say that that's me. There's, there's, there's a number of things I could say that about that are me. You know, number one, I, I speak my mind oftentimes too much. I, I've learned to curb it a little bit over the years, but I am pretty outspoken. and I blame my mom for that because one of the things that she instilled in uh, myself and my siblings was um you know to speak your mind even if your voice shakes you know stand up for what you believe in even if you're the last one standing mm. um she was way ahead of her time uh uh you know she was a radical lady in, t- in the in the guise of a conservative little body um but, <laughs> but awesome. that stuck with me uh and i've carried it um and i think the, the reason why i have chosen to go into the nonprofit field um, is also even maybe indirectly because of her, she used to also always tell us, uh, find something that you love and make that what you do for a living hmm. and always make a difference in the world if you can.
1: Well, it reminds me of something Warren Miller said, one seventh of your life is going to be spent on Monday. So make sure you choose a job that you like.
0: I've never heard that, but I got that. that God, I'm going to have to remember that.
1: That's a good one. That, that's going on a bumper sticker on my car. Right? So, um, all of that is a long way of saying I'm going to ask you two questions okay. uh, that carry some controversy with uh Oh, here we go. <laughs> Bring it. So, okay. The first one is – and I've been interested in this concept since I read about it some years ago. But there is a political argument that uh, charitable giving fills in for sort of the erosion of the social safety net. And there are limitations to that because there are limitations to the amount that private sectors and foundations and so forth can give – so I'm curious about your thoughts on that, and in terms of if we were to want to really tackle autism in a re, you know in in the most robust way possible, limiting it, you're not going to eliminate it, but you, but how are you going to help these folks function in the best way possible in society? What does that look like?
0: Those are great questions. I have no idea. I'm going to go now. <laughs> uh, no, okay. All right, so um, long, Dave. Yeah, uh, no, um, great questions, man. This could take. A while because Chatterbox Dave here. I could go on and on about this. The idea of, and I've been asked this before. The idea of, you know, uh, can you cure autism? What, what, what's, your, what's your goal realistically? Um, right. uh, and that ties into what we do. I, I, let me let me set the stage a little bit by uh, explaining that autism is the fastest growing developmental disorder. It is also the most underfunded. Mm. Put those two together, it means, you know, I got my job cut out for me. But I take it seriously and I, I do it with a great sense of passion. Which, and, and, and I,
1: I, I don't want to characterize this incorrectly, but it's not that you like that. Right. It's that you welcome the challenge.
0: Uh, exactly. And that, yeah, that you, that's perfectly stated. That being the fastest growing developmental disability, people will often ask me, well, why, why, why are there so many more cases of autism today than there were, say, five or ten years ago? And it's not that there's so many more cases it's that you know we're still learning um how to diagnose it, um, and the spectrum as it, you know the, the, the that's in our vocabulary now that word the spectrum um, is growing mm. um we're We're realizing that there are more and more disorders that fall under that uh, that umbrella it, currently the, the the number is one in sixty eight children in the United States will be diagnosed with autism Okay. Share. Um, and that used to be one in 93. Um, it is expected that this year that will or this year or next year that uh, they will finally drop that down to one in 45 roughly. And again, that's not be, it's, it's, I want to be very clear that we, although we don't have definitive proof on this, it's not that vaccines are causing autism. Or that, you know, aerosol sprays are causing autism. Right. There's so many theories out there of people that believe it is environmental. They believe that it's something in their, you know, in, in their, their upbringing rather than, uh, you know, a genetically based model.
1: Yeah, like are we eating a GMOs and is it making right. children right. autistic? And, uh,
0: and I have to, you know, just to be a disclaimer, I suppose... We, we may find out that that is possible. Right. Um, it is not – I don't believe it. Most of us in the field don't believe it.
1: Based on um, the evidence available right, right
0: now, that doesn't seem credible. Right. Um, and and so it's just that we are diagnosing it better. We are still learning. Um, we, we've barely scratched the surface in one way in, in, in the 15 years that we've been in exist, existence. But we've also come leaps and bounds from where we were 15 years ago. Um, so uh, getting back to your question, um, right now, ideally – if we could you know, find a way to cure autism, in other words, if we could find the area of the brain that we know it exists in, you know, there's, there's one spot in the brain that is the affected area um, and find a way to either chemically um, or medicinally to treat that, um, that would be great. That's not the case. Unfortunately, right. there are several areas of the brain that are affected. And so we're, we're learning different ways, different methodologies um, on how to, um, for example, one of the new theories is that um if you uh, help a child early enough who's diagnosed say, at the age of two or, mm-hmm. or earlier as as we're discovering now, wow, and you get them into uh you know our early intervention uh, early childhood intervention program, there are ways that you can possibly um create new neuropathways pathways yeah. that will bypass that affected area of the brain, but we're again, we're just barely scratching the surface on that. we've got a, such a long way to go, but that's the theory, and we believe that that may be. Um, the path that we will follow. If that is the case, somewhere down the road, it could be 10 years, it could be 110 years, we may be able to to completely um, uh, treat autism um, early enough to where we are bypassing it. uh, Right. And there's a lot of ifs. Yeah, there's, there's, there's so many ifs, exactly. You know, what our goal is, is to treat as many children as possible, um, to help them early enough to where we can uh, teach them to develop the skills right. that they're lacking, um, and the two areas that most kids with autism are are most affected by are social socialization and communication, and to get them into that uh, uh, into a realm where they can develop those skills to integrate into the world that really doesn't make that much sense to them. Ah, yes. Um, so that's that would be our, our our goal. You know, as far as the um, the model that. You know, there's only so many charitable dollars out there, and and how do you do that? And what what you know what, what's the plan? My team and I are working into the community to make sure that there may be a finite ceiling that exists on how much a certain group can give, or um, or that there may be donor fatigue. They've you know there, there there's there's um, you know one study that came out, several studies actually that came out and showed us that a particular donor area, unless they are directly affected by that that uh, disorder or by that cause, you've got a, you know, a, an X number of year period where you're going to have them in your good graces and then they're mm-hmm. going to move on to something else. Mm-hmm. Um, cause that's human nature. And I get that. I'm the same way. And, and if that's the case that, that we respect that, and we'll find another group um, to, to fill that. void. Right. And that's really what you do. You, you, you tap into the groups that you, um, that you have made a connection to groups that are interested in what you're doing, that respect what you're doing and that see the difference that you're making. And you go it as long as you can. I that makes. Did per- that answer your question? I don't. I kind of forgot what the
1: question was. So, the the one part that that uh, is of interest to me is beyond Firefly autism, and but beyond the autism uh, disorder issue, you know, something that that is underfunded yeah. that we're trying to draw attention to. There are how many different types of things that that we're trying to solve, and relying solely on the private sector. The, the question is, how do we take care of a population that can't always take care of itself? And can charitable giving do that on its own without sort of the larger superstructure of government uh, aiding it?
0: Got, gotcha. Um, yeah, I believe, yes, it can. Um, if, you Really? Uh, I, it, it, in, in, again, in an ideal sense. And here's what has to happen. And, and I'm seeing it happening here in Colorado. There, um, there are... Uh, at least in the world of of autism, there are a couple different organizations with different focus. Um, you have the adv- advocacy organizations um, Autism speaks uh, is a good example of that, and they, they they help to direct people where they need to go that um, that need uh, that need direction and a, and a pathway to follow whether it 's treatment, whether it 's services um, uh, whether it 's just a, you know um, a focus group uh, to help uh, support you know a, a family um, one thing that that 's interesting to point out is that the uh, divorce rate among uh asd autism spectrum disorder families is 85 percent. oh geez um and it makes sense you know the the other area i want to make sure i give kudos to is the families we deal with um at firefly and i see them every day I, I don't know how they do it and they'll they'll simply tell you with a smile on their face these are the cards we've been dealt and mm-hmm. you do it that's that's what that's what families do i'm gonna start crying here in a minute <laughs> uh, that's what families do um, and, and I get that part, but still it doesn't make it any easier and i would I would run for the hills, but it also makes you understand how um you know uh, a a two spouses may disagree on a pathway of treatment or on what the best um, right best road is for their child um and you, then that exacerbates and multiplies by a hundred a million whatever so you, you can understand that but um the support system for a family uh, that needs to be in place oftentimes isn't there. Um, but fortunately, there there are some organizations that are doing just that. You know, Firefly. We, we kind of try to uh, run the gamut of you know treatment is our number one focus. Um, support is is also in there as well, um, and then advocacy has to exist within our realm of services that we offer. So when you cover, when you are doing your best and partnering with other organizations and, and in a spirit of collaboration. Uh, this goes back to, and negates what we were talking about earlier as far as competition between them. Right. Yeah. But when you work together, um, I think over a period of time, whatever that period may be, I think it can be accomplished. Um, mm. Now, you mentioned, you know, uh, without uh, the, you know, without the um, interference of, of, you know, government injection in there, you, you know, we, we can't control that necessarily. We only have so much control over that. I don't want to get into the whole political model out there because then that'll reveal, you know, my, my horrible liberal bias. Um <laughs> Uh, you, you, you you try to trudge forward the best that you possibly can with dealing with whatever limitations, uh, whatever strings are attached, and uh, and get to as close it, to your goal as you possibly can. Well, to play it back at you, you play the cards you're dealt. Exactly. So, um, and that and that you know that, that line I've heard from parents that that will say that does apply across the board. It applies to right. us. You use you know you you play the hand that you've been dealt. And, uh, and you make the best of it, and hopefully you win.
1: Yeah, I mean, how, how, how much is government... And, and there's arguments to be made that government should not be in the business of solving some of these issues or injecting right. funds into this. There's an argument that they should. Um, <clears throat> but it's interesting to me that one of the starkest sort of differences in political ideology is a fundamental belief in the private sector to be able to do everything. Right. And a fundamental belief that that alone will not achieve the ultimate goal that we're trying to reach here. Right. And so that to me how that plays out in terms of the way that you all are forced to conduct your business is always fascinating to me.
0: Well it is and and then you have to toss in then we're really going to get controversial here. You have to toss in the the hypocrisies that exist, you know, um, you know, I, I, and again making no distinction here but the the classic republican model um that says, you know, less government, but, you know, less government and yet you've got, you know, the government you know, telling a woman what she can do with her body, you know, right. t- telling people who they can love, you know, that transcends into other areas. Um, and it does trickle down into, you know, how government interferes, for lack of a better word, or is involved right. with um, the way a business, particularly a nonprofit, is run. I've seen it, uh, you know, across the board for many, many, many years when I've been doing this for a living. And again, uh, you, you can't change that immediately. You may not be able to change it at all. You work with what you've got, and you uh, and you try to get in touch as much as you can with what your mission really is right. all about, and that means uh, for us, uh, it comes down to helping as many children with ASD and their families as possible to live, contributing, mm-hmm. fulfilling, and hopefully independent lives as adults, like Oprah, living their best like, life, like Oprah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly like Oprah. You gotta whatever. live your best life. Um, we use hers as an example many, many times. Um, no, you do. You have to live your best life. Um, and, and the cool thing, you know, about what we do at Firefly is we, I see it, you know, not every day. The success stories are not, you know, grandiose all the time. Um, but they're there. We had one of our clients who, um, was at Firefly for many years, finally, um, uh, left Firefly, graduated. Um, and then just this past, uh, uh December, graduated from CU in the engineering school hmm. um you know and not with honors but did really well um uh, yeah it took him a couple of years longer but you know got his degree in engineering and that's something that surprises people i think it even surprised me um because i'm still relatively new to the field because of what we have preconceived in our heads on what you know what a possible trajectory is going to be for a kid um with autism and where they're going to wind up you know you see you know the mo- the tv show parenthood um max was a great character on there he had asperger's and i loved that show i I was addicted to that show i loved it and that was before i started working at firefly so again i fell into that realm of following what you know what hollywood um or what the media or what anybody you know just out there had had told me um was what autism was about Mm -hmm. um and to some degree you know parenthood was a fairly accurate depiction uh, much more so than the movie Rain Man. Was. Um, you know, you see a kid like Max and you see the struggles um, every day and you see uh, what the family deals with and how they're coping. And and uh, and it gives you at least a, a smidgen of an idea of what the real world is really like. Um, but the fact of the matter is that, um, uh, you know. Kids, regardless of their function level, in, in a Firefly, we have kids from virtually all function levels high functioning, the ones that you know right away, um, early on, that they're, they're, they're gonna, they're gonna struggle. Yeah. But they're gonna have an easier time with it. Um, all the way down to the kids that are low functioning, that they're not necessarily on a track to where we're, we're planning on them attending public school, for mm. example. Wow. Um, our goals with, with those kids are more life skills, prepare them as much as we possibly can to develop the skills that, that will help them to live with a caregiver um, and be somewhat independent in that environment, not necessarily independent and have some level of self-sufficiency. Exactly. Exactly. Um, And again, I have to stress, you know, the way it was explained to me and this is the, for me, this is the perfect way to understand it is that um, for a kid with autism, our world, the world that we live in and we take for granted just doesn't always make a lot of sense. Mm. We have uh, one of the comedians that's, uh, that's going to be performing at our gala, I'm saying gala now because that's how you pronounce it. I've always said gala, you know. It's, that's oh, so mi- That's so Michigan of me, you know, <laughs> Midwest. But one of the comedians, uh, he's hilarious. His name is Michael McCrory, and he has Asperger's, and oh. he uses that as part of his routine to help educate, sure. enlighten. And make people laugh, but he does it in a very non-condescending way, which is important. Well, it's like um, Josh Blue. Exactly. Who, exactly. yeah, who, uh, he has what, CP? That's actually what, yeah, and that's actually what our, ga- our gala, <laughs> what, what, G-A-L-A, what, uh, Laugh Yourself Blue was first named after. Which, so
1: are they like gala apples to you then?
0: I'm um, sort of. Um, yeah, you know, it's funny. And again, I, I, I've, I've been always been fascinated by the different affectations, that we have from you know that stick with us from where we're from yeah. and uh, you moved to colorado which is sort of the melting pot of everybody from everybody else and and i first came here and being from michigan we were always taught that we were the non-accent part of the country <laughs> that we were the midwesterners that did not have an accent i was out here maybe three or four days and i'd meet people and they'd be like you're either from wisconsin or michigan or indiana and i was like how do you know i don't have an accent what's the capital of michigan and i go lansing <laughs> And right away, I realized, okay. So that, And, yeah, so I think Gala is just – that stuck with me. Well,
1: and denver, Denver's denver got its own accent, too. The, it does, yeah. The, the, the place that really has no accent is, like, the Pacific Northwest.
0: Oh, I think even – well, yeah, yeah but possibly. I've got a couple of friends that are born and raised in Seattle, and you can sort of tell. But, you like,
1: know. if you go to, like, Portland, Oregon, it's the land of TV newscasters in terms well, of pronunciation. And, you know, Portland's also the
0: dude. You know.
1: <laughs> well, sure. Yeah. But, uh, no, Colorado, like, Denver – it's uh, instead of saying "or," we yeah. tend to say "er." Er, yeah. You know, it's like, do you want to have a Coke or a Pepsi? Well, so,
0: yeah, my, that that goes back to the different vernaculars around the country, and I, I was fascinated to learn that in the South, if you ask for a Coke, that, that, could, that mean could be anything—seven yeah. up, you know, whatever. Um, Michigan, we call it pop.
1: Yeah, it was pop. That and was I, uh, Illinois. My family's from Illinois. I came so. out
0: here, and people called it soda, and I was just like baking soda. What are you talking <laughs> about? You know. Uh, We have a a saying in Michigan that uh, I'll often ask people uh, when I would come home, for example, from college for the weekend or for spring break or whatever. The first question my mom would ask was, hi, honey, (laughs) jeet. And I saw people, do you know what that means? Jeet. Like jeet? Yeah. J-E-E-T, I guess is how you'd spell it. What's it? did you eat? Yeah, but in Michigan we have a tendency to rid ourselves of the unnecessary vowels and other letters, superfluous
1: like, letters. Just, just get rid of them.
0: Narrow it down and whittle it down to the the most necessary components, and you end up with jeet. Jesus, you ever been to Pittsburgh? Uh, yeah, that is
1: one ugly accent. Yeah, I have. Um, yeah, where, it's sort it,
0: of a blend of the Ohio and the the East Coast meets each other in a very strange, awkward way. In, in
1: like, and they have the ugliest love child ever. Where like, instead of like, you all or y'all, it's yins. Yes. <laughs> which is, I found out, short for you ones. And I go, you ones? What? And so like, people will say yins are, like, hey, are yins are going down, Don And you're like, ugh. You're like, I cannot listen to you anymore. It
0: reminds me of, uh, I went to, uh, my undergrad years were spent at Northern Michigan University up in the good old UP. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, you betcha. Oh, and, uh, are you, are you a fan of the upers? Oh, I, dude, I was a Uper for five years. Um, no. I, and I actually picked up on some of the, uh, little accent mechanisms. Um, when it, the first time I was there. No, but I mean the
1: band, the upers. There's a band called the upers? Yeah. You're kidding.
0: No. How it, do I not know this?
1: It's like, uh, like this weird like comedy like, i'm publicly polka. embarrassing
0: myself by admitting this but i how do i not know this
1: um yeah no my dad was into them and uh you know like the second week at deer camp and you know like never I okay gotta, we're gonna I have got, to get into oh, this I got, yeah I we'll do a deeper dive uh, yeah. off, off oh you life.
0: betcha john sure <laughs> for sure
1: oh yeah oh the, hey that's that lumber in i played there before i totally
0: got us off on a tangent there um with my michigan thing I'm, no that's I'm, cool yeah. i
1: well and i pushed it that's what we do on this show
0: that's what's nice about so this show. you were
1: talking about josh blue yeah,
0: yeah josh blue that's our, he was the first performer at laugh yourself blue um and so the name uh was uh created sort of uh um to to follow, you know because you know josh blue um to incorporate his name into the title um it stuck though yeah. Um and then, after that uh, um you know josh uh did not perform again for us, he went in his direction. we went ours but but Michael McCreary, but this is where we were going that 's right um see, I always come back to the original path and yeah, it takes me a while you 'll find it um blame my mom for that one too um Michael McCreary, um this hilarious comedian, but uh he um he talks about the different ways that um things he 's encountered, you know things that he 's learned, good or bad. Um, from people, some of the stereotypes they have the the stigmas and whatnot right, and uh, so we're excited to have him on board to help in his own unique, funny, hilarious way um to help people feel more comfortable about talking uh, about a topic that they are pretty you know it's pretty awkward for them they people are generally uncomfortable talking about autism, I think number one because they don't know as much about it they they don't um they're not sure is this something you should talk about or you know i've i've encountered people that in the past, And in the past, this did exist to where it was something that used to only be talked about in dark corners of the yeah. room and even then only with a whisper. Right. Um, and so we're changing that. It, it needs to be talked about, and, and people need to be more comfortable about it. So, so having Michael um, as far as one of our comedians is going to be a huge, huge step in the right direction.
1: And um, I, I've been to a ton of these things now. When you manage a charitable giving portfolio, right. you end up at a lot of these things. And I'm always fascinated when there's going to be a comedian there because a comedian who can work clean to like uh, a, a sort of uptight crowd of you know yeah. like uh, of dorky corporate types right. um, and still be funny is is doing remarkable work. I was at one and this guy told a joke. he's like, my great grandmother had we had her hundredth birthday party so we hired a Grover Cleveland impersonator.
0: <laughs> oh that should have been fun.
1: And he said he performed two non-consecutive hours. And I thought, God, that's a great joke. Like because Grover Cleveland, oh my god, the only president to serve two terms but non-consecutively, so he said that. But i bum ching. I laughed though, because that was that's, that was
0: circled above my head and finally it settled. It, it landed a, yeah. very
1: gently, Uh on you know on a on a field of of lavender. <laughs> but so he told that joke and he was hanging out afterward and I talked to him. I'm like I think I was the only one who laughed at that. Yeah. He's like Kathleen Madigan told me. Like that's her favorite joke of mine, and he's like, "You laughed. I suspect the first time because you found it funny. Well, you're
0: sharp like that. And right? then you
1: then you laughed even harder when you realized you were the only one who right, got it. Exactly. And I'm like,
0: he has nailed my arrogance. Well, you know, it's it's funny because um, it, the, the the model uh, for a successful gala, if there is one, there's a number of ways you can approach it. Now you throw in comedy into the mix that um, that's the theme. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of people say you're asking for trouble because if you miss your mark, you're screwed. Um. Comedy is a high wire, actually. Uh, yeah, it is. Uh, we've been fortunate. Um, we, we try to have the right comedians there, number one, um, to do a clean act, um, because you gotta, you know, you gotta pander to your entire audience. That's a tough one. It's funny because after last year, um, we had exhausted, uh, one of the comedians that we had had been with us for a couple of years and it was just time for, for us to retire him, you know, him and move on to something else. I was determined to get a big name, mm-hmm. a huge name. And so, um, I got connected with Margaret Cho's people. Nice. And, uh, the deal was all secured. We had her, um, the price was right. And, and the contract, she was available. And, and I was, I was on cloud nine. I'm like, Oh my God, I friggin' got Margaret Cho for yeah. yourself blue. And, uh, we got to that, that part of the negotiation where I said, no, so we'll, we, you know, we can write into the contract that for our audience, you know, she'll, she'll, you know, curb the F bombs. Right. And, i said no that's not going to happen because that's not her and that's her stick and that's who margaret is and i get that so um we had to move uh on but uh, you know who we got was in addition to michael we got karen mills um karen i was not that familiar with her i'd seen her it turns out i'd seen her on a couple of the comedy shows on the late night circuit um but uh jesse's partner um is a big fan of karen's and he brought her name into the mix and we researched her, and I watched her on youtube, and she 's just hilarious. She plays the Southern bell routine um uh, in a hilarious way, so uh, I think people are going to love her as well but but she 's clean um, and that's that's important because yeah. we know that we're we're going to be safe in that regard because there's nothing worse than um, that moment when you think you 've got everything covered yeah, and then uh, either comes out the horribly offensive political joke or you know the series of f bombs and you can just see the people in the audience. With shock and awe, look on their face and and you're you 're plummeting you know
1: well i saw um I saw Craig Ferguson do one of these things uh, in denver like i right. and i can 't remember what organization he's it was for yeah he was good, yeah. but I remember thinking like Craig Ferguson is an old punk rocker like <laughs> like he doesn 't care like well, it, it, so he's right. he 's here with a bunch of like you know dorky rich people yep um, who he clearly doesn 't care about offending, and he worked up there. And it was clean, but it was pointy. Well, you think of a lot of comedians. No, hold on, hold on. And so it it was pointy, and so you could see people getting uncomfortable. I could, I could sense that Craig was losing the crowd a little bit, and he knew it too. So he pivoted into this story about how he was donating the payment for this, like back to the organization. Uh And I'm like, okay, like that's a pro. Okay, like that's a guy who managed to bring them all back in. And so then he was in their good graces for a while. Told an off-color joke for a while, <laughs> that's the key, yeah, and it was great. It was, uh, it was, it would.
0: I mean, he did fine. It was something of a train wreck, but well, it was great. You know, you, know, you got to realize that a lot of comedians, um, not only do they not care, that's kind of their act, right? Um, is to offend, um, is to to push the envelope as far as they possibly can and see where it lands them. Yeah, and they wind up being incredibly successful with that, regardless of who they've pissed off. Right. And, uh, unfortunately we can't do that. So we, <laughs> well, no. you know, we, we, as much as I, I would love to, I'm an envelope pusher, believe me. Um, and I would love to see what that, what that looked like and, and when it was all said and done, but, uh, we're not going to go there.
1: Well, um, it, I mean, comedy to me is like, there are many seasonings throughout the world. And sometimes I like different flavors. Like right. John Heffron is a very clean, very funny comedian, right? Um, Rita Rudner is another one that comes to mind. She was yeah. great.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I haven't seen her in years. What I think, happened to her? I think she's still working in Vegas. Honestly. I mean, she, she was, I, I just thought she was so good. Needed her own show. Yeah. Um, and then she just kind of, you never heard about her. Yeah.
1: No, she, uh, I think she's still got a long running show in Vegas. Though. I
0: would like, Rita, if you're listening, <laughs> I would do anything to have you come perform at Laugh Yourself Blue next year. Well, you know my
1: demographic. It's like yeah. Colorado people and yeah. Rita Rudner. Okay. So. so
0: this actually could happen.
1: So Rita. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, okay. So. We don't have a ton of time left. One thing uh, I did want to ask you, this was actually the second sort of controversial question. This will be one you know how to handle, though. I love controversy. Is um the whole like uh vaccines and autism thing um, that was largely you could you could attribute this largely to Jenny McCarthy. Um, from, what was that now? 15, 10 years ago? Something like that? About
0: that. 10, 12 years, I think. Um, yeah.
1: but it still lingers. Yep. And the reason I'm interested in it is because I deal in issues of public controversy quite a bit. I've talked extensively about fracking. I've talked extensively about GMOs. And in that sort of conspiratorial, they're poisoning us, like the world is, is BS sort of vein, the third leg of that stool is vaccines are causing autism. It's, it's a, to me, it, it necessitates a very cynical and very, very unpleasant view of the world. And I was wondering how much that
0: conversation filters down to you at the treatment level. And your listeners cannot see that I am nodding my head in a very cocky way right now mm-hmm. as you're asking this question. I mentioned this earlier. We, we get that question a lot. Um, and I, out of respect, I have to say there are parents, um, of a child with ASD, um, who firmly, unequivocally believe that vaccines cause autism. Um and I'm not going to um disrespect them. I'm not going to um to, to argue with them or debate that. That's what they believe. But this is what I believe. Mm-hmm. Um this is what I have learned working in the field. This is what my colleagues have learned working in the field is that uh, can I say the word bullshit? Mm-hmm. That, that, that's bullshit. That's yeah. again my opinion. Uh it doesn't mean that it's definitive and it doesn't mean that it's uh, it, it's textbook we have reason to believe um that uh, the the research that we've seen that is still ongoing uh, everything that we've looked at every every model that we've that we've examined um is that uh autism is somehow genetically based mm-hmm. you, uh, you know again, I said earlier that there there may come a time when we're proven wrong on that. I highly doubt it. What we do in that regard, John is you know with that respect um and to bypass that is okay right now we don't know the answer to that question. On paper with, with, with a scientific proof, you know, with some people that doesn't matter even if you have scientific proof, but, but with, with the scientific evidence in front of us, but the fact remains, we still need to treat your child.
1: Well, and it's, it's a bullshit construction anyway, right. because you can't prove a negative. Exactly. Like, can you prove that, that vaccines did not
0: cause the autism in my child? Correct. No. Okay. Right. Like, but all during that, during that time, that child is still waiting and, and, t- and precious right. time is ticking away. And I say precious time because the early childhood intervention model is critical. To helping these kids have a better chance at living, uh, this, this tip, you know, neurotypical life, um, right. or this, a similar life as their neurotypical peers. So, um, so, you know, while we're debating that and, and let that happen, um, the fact remains we got we have to treat your right. child. And that's, that's the, what we focus on is that, uh, um, let's, let's, let's get that kid to where he needs to be. Um, to help, help him develop the skills that he's going to need to integrate into this world, um, the, the world that's a little fuzzy and blurry to them that doesn't make much sense because the fact remains that in 12, 15, 18 years, however long um, it is, um, that child is going to be a part of the generation right. that is running the world. Yeah. And let's make them as most prepared as we possibly can. That's awesome. Yeah. All right, Dave. So normally on this show, I like to
1: get into people's backgrounds and sort of the journey. We didn't get to do that much today, but I know you do have a background in radio, right? I do. So, um, and I know that because I, and I learned that when we did the radio show together that I booked yeah. for us, uh, on 1690 The radio voice comes out every now and then. <laughs> so what I was going to say was we're at the spot in the show where we do plugs. So I want you to give me the radio voice for uh, where can we find Fly- Firefly Autism, where can we find Laugh Yourself Blue, give me your best radio promo for all the events uh, and and the places where you can find Firefly, anything you want to plug, it's all yours.
0: First of all, the most important thing is our website, which is fireflyautism.org. That's fireflyautism.org. Laugh Yourself Blue, which happens on Thursday. April 12th at the Sewell Grand Ballroom in downtown Denver at the Denver Performing Arts Complex. It's sold out, though. So we are sorry that tickets are no longer available, but you can still support Firefly by making a life-changing contribution at fireflyautism.org. How's that, John? That was spectacular. (laughs) Back to my days of starting at Q107 in Marquette, Michigan, and moving on up to WWCK 105 FM, Flint's Best Rock. Uh, (laughs) God, I can't believe I just said that.
1: God, that's awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, you know what? We may have to talk that sometime because I love talking radio. Um, you know,
0: I'm going to be talking like this the rest of the day today. All right.
1: Sometimes I like to do my my super like morning show, like you know, boomer in the nudge voice. You know, like hey, you're listening to John of All Trades podcast. (laughs) <laughs> yeah,
0: morning shows are a bitch to do. They really are. I remember I, my, my main shift that I did was was six to ten in the evening. I love that shift because you can get away with a lot. But right, but I, whenever I had to sub for the morning show, man, I hated that because you're up like at three and your voice yeah. doesn't work the way you want it to work. At that <laughs> ungodly hours. Yeah, you've
1: it's got crazy. that morning voice. Yeah. Uh, I had scoop, uh, scoop Seamson from KBPI on this show. He was a, he was an old KCSU guy, but he's doing he's done mornings now with Willie B. Right, um, and so. We talked a little bit about that, and he, it's it's an unusual life. Like it's, oh, it is. It's hard.
0: I miss it, but you know, maybe someday I may decide to, to travel back into the bed.
1: There you go. All right. Well, I'll tell you, that was the best plug I think we've ever had. <laughs> um, ever since uh, we got Here introduced, please, John. <laughs> Ever since we got introduced to each other, uh, I'm thrilled to be in your orbit. And Dave, I wish you and Firefly continued success. Rock and roll. Thank you, John. And that wraps up the four-year anniversary and episode 169, nice, of the John of All Trades podcast with Dave Sevick, Vice President of Marketing and Development for Firefly Autism. I am deeply appreciative of Dave coming on my show and being so candid with me, I'd expect nothing less of him, nor would I expect anything less than the highest level of engagement from an organization as good as Firefly. Check out Firefly on the web, fireflyautism.com org. Dave gave you that great promo in his radio voice. And as long as you're out on the web, clicking around on things, the John of all trades podcast is on social media. Check it out j-o-a-t pod is the handle for not only facebook but twitter snapchat pinterest and instagram the show is also available on itunes and stitcher just search john of all trades give us a rating give us a review and hit that subscribe button brand new episodes will come directly to you. you don't even have to do any work ain't america great as i said in the intro i'm off next week i'll be back here in two weeks with a brand new episode we're going to keep rolling with new content, and I got to tell you, it's great to be back and kicking off the fourth year right with a slate of fantastic guests. I can't wait for you to be there with me, so thank you for letting me into your lives. I hope we go for four more years plus, plus. and until I hear you back here, say goodnight
0: That's good, Johnny.
1: The John of All Trades podcast is a part of the Denver Podcast Network. In the shadow of the mountains, we speak. speak.